John 3, 16, we're all, we all know this verse. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, he did what? He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, verse 17, we quote John 3, 16. We, we skip over 17, 18 a lot. Verse 17 says, for God sent his son into the world, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Jesus came. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we, we know there's a reason Jesus came, and it, and it wasn't just to show us, you know, do these things because we cannot fulfill the life that Jesus lived any more than we could fulfill the law. Okay? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man is come to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Folks, he came to die to make a way for us to be redeemed. He came and took our sin so that he could give us his righteousness. That was our only hope. 1 John 4, 14, we have seen and testified that the Father hath sent the Son to be the Savior of of the world. 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement uh, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So, so that's why Jesus came. He came to die for the sins of the world, to make a way that we could be born again. Praise God. Amen. amen. Now, here's where the mission conference comes in. Here comes the mission, because this is what the Lord has told us to do in Matthew 28, 19. He said, go therefore, he's telling us, before he ascended back into heaven, he says, go. And that, that word, the idea there is as you are going, as you are living, your, as you are, don't stand around here, go. As you are going, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the, name, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We have been commissioned. Now, we've already talked about our giving. And we give so that we can support missionaries who are going to the field. Not everyone here is going to go to the field. But I hope there's somebody here Maybe this week who will answer the call that God will speak to their heart and they say, Pastor, I don't know what this means. I don't know what God wants me to do, but I feel like God is calling me to be a missionary. That'd be my prayer. I, I'd pray that somebody in, in our church would say, I believe God's calling me to preach. I want to preach the gospel. And if that means going to the foreign field, I'll do that. that. I would love to see that. But we can give, we can pray, some of us can go. We can all be involved here, right here, VBS. It's a way for us to be involved with discipleship, with the mission. As we go out of here into our community, into our county, into our state, our country, our continent, and the uttermost part of the world. So I, I pray that this week we'll turn our hearts. We'll really turn our hearts and focus and think. And I pray, I, I'm begging, I'm begging. As your pastor, I'm begging you, be here Every night, we've got, we've got a great lineup of those who are going to speak, those who are going to preach. You don't want to miss this. Well, I'll sit at home. Don't sit at home and watch this. Be here. Be here in person and experience what God is doing in our church in person. Be a part of this, okay?
Now, Brother Glenn Rogers has been a huge part of this church going back a long time, but I know in the transition, now y'all can fault him for this if you'd like, but I think he had a big part in me being here, uh, me being in this church now, so y'all get mad at him. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at him. Um, no, but I think I thank the Lord for for Glenn and what Glenn has done in my life, the, the influence he's had in my life. Uh, the positive impact, the encouragement, the, the discipleship, the mentoring, all of those things that he's pouring into your pastor's life. I, th- I thank the Lord for Glenn and Miss Bonnie and, uh, and their ministry in our association. And he'll share tonight about things that are going on in the East Central Baptist. I still have trouble saying that, Brother Glenn. East Central Baptist Network. He'll share all that's going on in that with us this evening. But uh, Glenn's had a huge part in our church for years, and uh, many of you know him and love him. So, Glenn, if you would come and just share the Word of God with us this morning, we thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate you. Well, I didn't know I was going to preach. I drove all the way out here just to hear Gina give a testimony. (laughs) I'll go ahead and talk instead of you, okay, Gina? (laughs) Well, it's good to be here. Thank you for the kind introduction. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, and we'll kind of launch from the beginning of that gospel and see what God has for us. But I love the chairs. It's it's just good. I've been here enough to know where some of you sit. Now I can't find you. But I thought, man, I'm not even in Geneva anymore. But then when Conrad came out with the camouflage suspenders, I knew I was. And so that was good. That was good. Now, I want to read uh, just uh, a few verses here in John 1, and, um, and then we're going to cover the, kind of the rest of the passage. And while you're finding John chapter 1, verse 35, I want to just, Connor was talking about the mission offerings that you give, and I want to thank you for what you give to our association. We're now 70-plus uh, churches and counting in... Uh, Mostly Seminole and Volusia County, but also even up to Flagler County and even one site in Orange County. And uh, we're growing. I'm going to tell you more about four or five things that we're doing that are somewhat new uh, tonight. But thank you for that. So, but tonight's message, God's put on my heart. I want to answer a question and, and, and direct our thoughts around this question. What about those who have never heard? What about those people And they're not just out there. I can tell you some stories. Some of them are right here among us. And that crowd seems to be growing. They've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. What happens to them when they die? I want to answer that question. I hope you care about the answer to that question because it's certainly, certainly important. And some other questions attendant to that. Now, um, I want to to talk to you today around a certain thing. And I'm going to call the message something right out of the text. Come and see. When my uh, son was a little guy, I'm going to say like six or seven years old, he, he always wanted to go with me in the, uh, in the truck when I'm riding around. Uh, I think it's mostly to get out of his schoolwork. But anyway, he wanted to go with me, and he got on something, which he sometimes did, and he just wouldn't stop about it. And he just went on and on and on. Finally, I'd had enough. And I said, if you say something about that one more time, I'm going to stop this truck And get you out of here and give you a spanking right here beside the road. Well, everything went quiet. And a little bit later, he said, Dad, he said, you know, you told me not to say anything about that. And and I'm not going to. But if I was going to say something, here's what I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to say anything today 
that would convict anybody or make them feel uncomfortable. But if I was going to say something that convicts you and make you uncomfortable, here's what it would be, okay? John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. This would be John the Baptist. And looking at Jesus, he walked, excuse me, looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And that's the title we've got today. Now, y'all, uh, it is a mission conference. I love the way you emphasize mission in the singular because that's really right. That's really proper. There's one mission. It's the mission of Jesus that he came and gave to us in the Great Commission. But religion, when you look at it in a worldwide sense, in a local sense, and even sometimes in the Christian context, can be very confusing. And I just want to make this statement, and, and I've done it. If you study religion without the truth of the Bible, it's going to be confusing. It really is. Matter of fact, you'll be as confused as a lightning bug trapped in a cell phone. You just won't know what's coming or going. And you won't come to any good conclusions. But the point is, when Jesus speaks, that confusion turns to clarity and that darkness turns to light and it transforms us. But no matter what is asked or what is said, when Jesus says, come and see, that's exactly what we should do. Come and see. So today I invite you with me to come and see what it means to believe and truly be saved. And then to come and see what it means to follow Jesus. And then to come and see what it means to say to others, come and see. And then at the end, we'll put in a foundational truth to keep you going. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, it's one of the times that Jesus said words like this. The Bible says, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you. Fishers of men, I'll make you catch men. He said that to a group of fishermen. This text that we're going to look at today is the early evidence of when that began to happen. Jesus said, follow me, and they began to say to others, follow me. Now, I came across a statistic recently, and I've run it through some of our churches, and it seems to be generally accurate in talking about reaching others. Now, I want you to, let's say we've got 180 here today. Counting all the kids and everybody on the premises. I don't know. But we'll use that as a figure. If 10% of our churches, of our church attenders, 10%, so that'd be like 18. If 10% of our people would win one person to the Lord each year and baptize them, most of our churches would baptize twice as many as they do. 10% reaching one. Now that's kind of minimal. But I know this. Jesus started with just a handful. And although I encourage you as your pastor has to come back tonight, and I don't know what you're doing at 6 o'clock tonight, but you probably don't have something better to do than to come here and to really understand that question. What about those who've never heard? What do we do about that? What happens to them? And to, and to realize that even if just a handful of y'all this week get what we're saying, it'll make a difference in this church and in your life. So the first thing today that we look at 
is to live with Jesus. To live with Jesus. Now look again in verse 38 that we read. Right in the middle of this little episode here, this event, then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is a translated teacher, where are you staying? Now, I, y'all, I've looked at commentaries and all kind of things. Conrad, I, I don't know why they asked that particular question at that time. Where are you staying? I don't know if they say, hey, are we going to be homeless strangers if we follow you? Are we, I mean, the, the accommodations with John the Baptist weren't too good. Is this going to be any better? I, I, I really don't know why they asked that particular question. But, you know, Jesus' response was come and see. Hey, if you're going to follow me anyway, just come and see. Just come along and, and it, this, it'll all unfold. All your questions will, will unfold with good answers if you just keep following. But later, later in this book, Jesus did say something more substantial about where he stays and where we should stay. In John 15, when he said, abide in me and let my words abide in you. And, and, and abide in the literal sense means dwell, but it, it, in a more full sense, it means It means to be at home with. Jesus is inviting us to be at home with him, to be at home with his lordship, to be at home with his ways, to be at home with his commands as his word abides in us. When I was a long time ago, when I was a a school teacher and a coach, I I had a bunch of boys, and I may have told you about these guys before. They were elementary school at the time where I taught. And I mean, there was a handful of them, they could just run. They could just run a hole in the wind. I mean, one of them ended up playing for a Super Bowl champion, Chicago Bears, and, and uh, several of them went on to do some good things in athletics. But when they were in elementary school, we put together a track team, and we went to the Southeastern Conference uh, AAU Championship for their age group, and, and they won. I mean, they, they, they could run. But what, what was interesting about them, they didn't just run when we had a track meet. They ran all the time. They'd come to school and, and they'd tell me about who they were racing around the block and who they beat, who, who they could beat. And they had this phrase. They, they didn't want to, Pastor, they didn't want to ever admit they lost. So they had this phrase. I, I'd say, I'd say, well, can, can you beat him? And he'll say, no, but I can stick with him. <laughs> and what, what they meant was we, we, we crossed the finish line. He might have been ahead of me, but we were going the same speed. I can stick with him. I can stick with him. That always, that always stayed with me. When you and I see our sin in the sight of a holy God and we see the Lamb of God who gave his life to pay for our sins, the right and only best response is to go with Jesus and to stick with him. And to stick with him. To stick with him. Now folks, it's glorious. The songs we sing... The old ones, the new ones, whatever. It's glorious to sing and to celebrate about having our sins forgiven. It's it's wonderful. I I wouldn't do anything ever to diminish that. But I know of no gospel in the Bible that offers you and I forgiveness of sins that does not, and listen closely, that does not at the same time demand a radical change in our life when you follow Jesus. And also let me add to this. I don't know of any gospel in the Bible that doesn't just demand a change in our life but it also produces a change in our life because when we're saved, the Spirit of the living God comes to live within us to, so that Christ can live in and through us to really truly make us like Him. 
So don't be afraid of the demand of the gospel without also recognizing the product of the gospel as he changes us to be like Christ. So first, to live with Jesus. But secondly, to be like him. To be like him, especially in this context we're seeing here. Folks, real salvation makes us want to be like Jesus and it does, it makes us want, there's a desire there. Philippians 2, 13 says, it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So real salvation makes us want to be like Jesus, but it does make, ends up making us more like Jesus. It's called sanctification. It's not called religion. Let me, let me tell you about religion, even in a Christian context. Religion will make you strive. You always, always got to be striving. And then if you're successful, you'll have pride. And then when you have pride, you'll look down at other people and they'll become a divide. And that's what religion will do to you. And then you end up just copying other people or lashing on to cliches and creeds that, 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 are, that are just words without the dynamic of Christ living in you. Now in verse 40, in verse 40, well, I didn't actually finish verse 39. I stopped at the come and see. We'll go that into verse 40 because I want to see, I want you to see what, what unfolds here. He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was named Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Y'all, Andrew, watch this. Andrew has now spent one day with Jesus and he already wants to go and win his brother to the Lord. He spent one day with Jesus. He didn't have time to have a training course. He didn't have time to go to a mission conference. He just spent one day with Jesus and immediately he, he did for his brother what Jesus did for him. Let's look at it in verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. I love this wording. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas or Peter, which is translated a stone. One day. August 2nd, 1970, is when I got saved. I was working a construction job. And so the next day, it was lunchtime. And as it was in that day, it shouldn't have been, but it was, all the white guys sat in one place and all the black guys sat in another place. Well, I'd gotten saved the night before on a Sunday night and I, and I knew all the guys I usually sat with at lunch. So I went over and sat with the black guys. I didn't sit too good with some people. That was their problem. I went over and sat with the black guys. You know why? Because I wanted to ask them if they knew the Lord. I, I, I just had this. And look, it, it wasn't anything I prayed about the night before that morning. It, it wasn't some motivational thing. Christ had entered my life. And therefore, I was just going to do what Christ did for me. And I remember one man named Ed. He actually had a had a pretty clear testimony. It was, it was a joy to share with him. Folks, what I'm here to tell you today is Jesus is so great 
And Jesus is so loving and Jesus is so full of grace and Jesus is so full of truth and Jesus is so strong and Jesus Christ is so merciful and so wise and so able. When you spend time with him, you will want to be like him and want to do like him. It happens inside out. It happens from looking at him, seeing him, seeing this picture we're seeing, but also happens from the inside because his spirit and his word gains entrance to our soul. Now, this passage tells us about five people who came to Christ. Five people. Two were with John the Baptist. We know one of them's name is Andrew. And then now Peter, and then Philip, and then Nathaniel. Now, listen, out of the first two, as I said, one went to win a family member to the Lord. Now, let me, let me just stop there for a moment. I'm going to ask you a question. It's going to sound like a really dumb question until I add one word. Do you care about your family? We always want to say, of course. Do you care about them eternally? Do you care about their eternal soul? I was preaching, Pastor, I was preaching on this um, just last year on this passage and then got to meditating on it and I was driving down the road in my truck, which I usually am, and the Lord just spoke to me and said, what about your family? And he immediately brought someone to mind, my brother-in-law. And so I, I, I called Bonnie. I said, hey, look, I'm, I'm going down to Kissimmee. I'm going to go see Steve. And okay. So I went down there, went to the, uh, I guess it's a independent living, assisted living. I wasn't sure. He was able to get out, though. Called him, got the number from my niece, because I didn't really have his number. I hadn't seen him much. He'd kind of quit coming to the family gatherings, what little we had. And so I said, hey, Steve, let, uh, this is Glenn. Let, let's go to lunch. <laughs> Listen, when you're in one of those places, you'll go anywhere. <laughs> he said, sure. I mean, I had, I had a captive audience. So I went down. I took him to this little restaurant in St. Cloud, and we talked and reminisced and told, told, told family stories and things like that. But then I talked to him about Jesus. And he left there that day with the full assurance of his salvation. He died later that year. But I want to ask you, do you care about your family eternally? I've looked at why people don't witness to their family. And why, why sometimes I don't do what I should do. I'll give you three reasons. One is fear. Two is they know us. They know our baggage and all that. But three is we know them. And sometimes we see them in actuality instead of seeing them in possibility of what they'd be like if Christ got a hold of them, caring about their eternal soul. Now, Conrad pointed out something just real quickly a moment ago when he's talking about the Great Commission. The, the go in Matthew, when it says go into all the world, it means as you're going. You, you, you mentioned that. Well, do you realize all this is happening? We already read it. It's as Jesus walked. All this is happening was Jesus just doing what, he, what he's supposed to do. And so I want to encourage you. I talked to one of our pastors just the other day at pastor's breakfast, and they have started a uh, Sunday afternoon evening going out to see the people that visited their church that day. Kind of an old-fashioned idea, really. And, and, and that's wonderful. I commend him for it. Let him share the other, about the other, with the other pastors about it. But even without that, 
Do you realize how many people in your neighborhood you encounter when you're just waving at them, walking the dog, uh, going to the store, going uh, in, in, in where you work? Do you realize how many lost people you encounter just just in as you're going? I've got I counted up the other day. I've got 25 or 30 people that are that are in my church that they've never met yet because all of them either work in restaurants or gun shops. <laughs> And, and, and I just talk to them. And, and the, the restaurant people, you talk to them about life things and, and they'll tell you. And then you take that to the gospel. The gun shop people, they always want to talk about politics. And then you try to take that to the gospel. That's, that's my flock. They've, none of them know each other. They've never, met, they've never met each other. But I'm trying to share the gospel with them just as, a, as I'm going. And it's amazing how much they'll listen. You know why? Because if they think you can, most people will listen to you if they think you care. They really will if you care. Well, Jesus did this as he was going. I want to just interject something here. I don't even know how this fits in, but just kind of a parenthesis here. I want to ask you just a basic bedrock question. Do you, do you think about God when you're, when you're not at church? Do you, do you think about God when you're not in the church crowd? You should if he lives in you. I was talking to a friend one day and she was actually commenting on her sister and she said, my sister told me all the long time I think about God's when I'm at church. The rest of the time I just do my own thing. Well, I'll give her A for honesty, but that's not, the, that's not the norm. Question, what will set a person on a path to witnessing and more particularly soul winning as they go? Now, before I, before I answer that, I'm going to give you a couple of things. Before I answer that, let me, let me give a, a quote. Now, this quote's been pretty widely published because evidently Dr. Billy Graham, who I'm quoting here, said this more than once. But the first time I heard it, a man that was his uh, uh, partner in ministry for years, T.W. Wilson, his son, Jim Wilson, evangelist, was a friend of mine. And Jim Wilson went and asked Billy Graham, he always called him Uncle Billy because he grew up with him. He said, Uncle Billy. Can you imagine calling Billy Graham Uncle Billy? And he said, uh, he said, what would you do different if you were starting your ministry over again? He said two things, and he's repeated this more than once. He said, I would use the term soul winning more than just witnessing. Because witnessing can be kind of generic. Soul winning's real pointed. And he said, the other thing is I'd talk about hell more. That's what Billy Graham said when, when he was almost 80 years old, looking back on it. So what will set a person on a path to being a witness, to being a soul winner as they go? Number one, being saved and knowing how it happened. If you are nebulous about your conversion testimony, it's going to be real hard to talk to somebody else about where they need to go, what steps they need to take, how they need to respond. If you're not sure how you got there yourself, being saved and knowing how it happened, number one. Number two is just gratitude. Now, let me, let me just dive into the human element. What do you do when you get a new house or a new vehicle or a new job? What do you do? You tell about it. You just tell it. Why? Because you're excited and you're grateful. What could we be more grateful about than that the Lord would save sinners like us? So being saved and knowing how, gratitude. But the third one is the ongoing thing. Being with Jesus and learning of Jesus, reaching out to family as Andrew did. But now I want to go to Philip 
because he reached out to a friend. Let's go on with the story here. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And that was one of the common things he said to the early disciples. Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Watch this. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That'd be like, can anything good come out of Chiliota? <laughs> or you could say Geneva. You know what the answer to that is? Yes, if Jesus did it. Amen. If Jesus made the difference. But Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's a whole bunch of reasons why people, some people thought that way then. But look, look, at what, look at what Philip said. Philip said, watch this, come and see. I wonder where he learned that. Come and see. That's what Jesus said to the first two when they asked him a question. So Andrew reached out to a family. Philip reached out to a friend. Y'all, here's, here's, here's the deal. Jesus Christ has the knowledge and the plan and the power and he has authorized us in his name and in his power to go and extend the call and tell lost people how they can be born again, how they can be justified, how they can be forever right with God, how they can be changed. I've got some news for you in this mission conference. If you haven't figured it out already, in evangelism, there is no plan B. There isn't a plan B, the plan, plan A. We'll, we'll unpack that more tonight, but it's us telling it and why we need to do it. Now, I want to end on a note that's going to be, I, I think, the thing that'll, that'll kind of keep us going. It's kind of keep you going, okay? You, you've been saved, and if you have been, and Christ has come into your life by the Holy Spirit. And so what, what's, what's the thing to maintain that, to maintain that walk with the Lord and that closeness with the Lord? Jesus gave us a hint of it in Matthew eleven twenty eight, when he said this, come unto me, great invitation, come unto me. All you who are laboring or heavy laden, watch this, he said, I'll give you rest, meaning peace. Take my yoke upon you. Then he said this, learn from me or learn of me, which is a little bit richer. Jesus is inviting us to learn from him. Now, right here, we can learn of Jesus. Now, let me go back to Nathaniel when he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, was he being rude? Well, he never got rebuked for it. Here's what he was doing. He was being honest. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, there's, there's two things that need to be in your heart for you to become a Christian. You, and, and, but it's interesting that both, both the words begin with H. One is honesty and the other is humility. You have to be honest about your sin and your separation from God. You have to be honest that Jesus is the only way. When the prodigal son was far away, far away from his home, the Bible says he came to himself and then he came to the Father. Folks, that has to happen in your life and mine, that honesty. And then the humility that I cannot save myself, only God can save me. The humility that says I am broken. The humility that says I have nothing to offer God. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. 
That honesty and humility, well, that's where Nathaniel was. It's no surprise that Jesus changed his life because of being honest. Now, I want to read the, the remainder of the chapters. It's just a few verses after this comes with Nathaniel and, and, and watch what happened. Then I got a kind of a big, big picture point to make. And we're getting near the end of this. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said of him, now this is an incredible statement. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit or guile, trickiness. What a statement to make about a whole nation of people that he was part of. Beholds, one of the chosen ones in whom there's no deceit. One of the religious people in whom there is no deceit. See, Jesus actually commended him for being honest instead of what we might think about his statement about can anything good come out of Galilee. Nathaniel said to him, and this is the humility, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now Nathaniel's impressed and he says, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There's his confession. And Jesus gave kind of a, almost a quirky answer, but in our way of thinking, what he said next. But it's really, really amazing. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Well, wasn't that, wasn't that the understatement? And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I don't know what Nathaniel was thinking, he, but he had to be thinking something like this. I don't know what all I got in on, but I am just glad to be in. This is the man to follow. This is the one I want to hook my life to forever. Now, let me, let, me just, let me just do a little review and listen closely. Lamb of God, Rabbi, Teacher, Messiah, Christ, gives followers new names, fulfilled the words of the prophets, particularly Moses. Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Joseph, sees things before they happen. Son of God, King of Israel, Son of man, rules the angels. Now, that, that's an impressive list. Where, where did I get that from? I got, we just read it in the Bible. We just read it. Do you realize in 17 verses, you've got 12 or 13 names or concepts of God all packed in there. Simply, we read the Bible. Y'all, to live with Jesus, to abide with him, and to be like him and to learn from him, you're going to have to be a Bible reader. Thank God for Todd's testimony about getting the Bible, but I, I want to I end today and camp out here. And I always wonder, Pastor Conrad, you know when you're preaching, you always wonder, uh, what, what's, the, what's the one big takeaway I want to give? Or what's the one thing people might hear that, that you know, might be a little different emphasis than what I made? I remember I was in seminary. And our great pastor next door, Adrian Rogers, came to semin in our seminary. We had a question and answer time. And they, they, said, uh, they said, Dr. Rogers said, how many points should a good sermon have? You know what his answer was? At least one. Amen. <laughs> At least one. Well, 
I don't know what the one point you'll get today, but if it's this next one, it'll sustain you like nothing else. It's to read the Bible, to read it every day. Psalm 145, verse 2 says, Every day will I bless you. <clears throat> For 47 years, I have gotten up every day to read the Bible, not some other book to read the Bible. I've never even missed a day by the grace of God. Why? Because it's important to me. Because I want to hear what God says at the beginning of my day. Now, hey, let, let me let you off. You don't have to be legalistic about that. You can read it more than once a day. Amen? <laughs> set a time, set a place, and do it. That old hymn says, tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest, that ever was heard. Read the Bible. Now some people ask me, Pastor Glenn, what's the best translation to use? Whatever one you'll read is a good place to start, okay? Just whichever one you'll read and really read and read and read again and then get, then get another one and read through that one. It's interesting that Todd gave his testimony this morning. My wife pointed out to me one time, she said, isn't it ironic that we'll send missionaries and buy Bibles to go all around the world and won't read the ones we've got sitting on our own shelves right here. I remember when I was a missionary in Nevada, I don't know how this exactly happened, but it kind of fell to me to get, to get Bibles, uh, to be the guy that buys Bibles. So these, these churches would, would call and say, hey, we're doing an outreach event and we, we need some New Testament, need some Bibles. So I said, I can get them to you. Most of the time they would say how much it costs. Now this is interesting. How much, how much will they cost? I said, well, here's, here's what we do. Here's what I'm going to do. I said, they're free. But if you want to give us something, that'll help me buy some more for the next guy that calls me. In eight years out there, we never ran out of money to buy Bibles. Because people just kept giving. I kept buying more, kept giving. I had to learn which version the Spanish people prefer. Because the first time I did it, I got them some version that wasn't, wasn't too good. And uh, they have one called Rena Valera. 1960, that's kind of their standard version. So uh, I had, had to learn that. But, but it was just great how we, we kept giving those out. But in talking about reading the Bible above all else, let, let, me, let me just give you this illustration. I may have said this before, so it, it, act impressed, okay, if you've heard it. Someone knocks at your door, and you look, and there's two men. And one of them is someone that you know knows a lot about Jesus. But the other one is Jesus. Who do you want to listen to? The other books, and I will say this cautiously, the other books may be someone who knows a lot about Jesus or maybe thinks they know a lot about Jesus. Reading the Bible is listening to Jesus. I, I, want, I want to tell you, read it first or read it only, but read the Bible. I, I, I want to give you this challenge. Now, I've not had this fail. If, if you're the first one that it fails, let me know. Then I'll say, I've only found one person, and they were in Geneva. <laughs> but listen, if you'll do this for 30 days, it probably won't take that long, but just 30 days, just read the Bible. Don't, don't read anything else till you read the Bible. You say, where do you start? Genesis, Matthew, Psalms. I mean, you know, just pick somewhere and keep going. The Gospels. And read the Bible for 30 days. Here's the testimony. Everywhere I give that challenge, I said, Pastor Glenn, I'll give you one of a particular woman up in Sanford. She said, 
I've been teaching Sunday school for 25 years. And she said, my life has changed since I started just reading the Bible every day. Imagine that. Why is that? Because it is the word of God. It's like those two guys standing at the door. We want to listen to Jesus, of course. Talk to Jesus. Add prayer to that time with him. When the disciples heard Jesus pray in Luke 11, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, let me give you some questions here and we're done with the, with the message. Time of decision follows. Does anything I've said make sense to you? Do you want to learn more? Come and see. Can Jesus really make me a soul winner? I'm so shy. Come and see. Will spending time in the scripture daily in prayer really change my life? Come and see. Will Jesus forgive me of my sins and change me and give me peace and assurance of my salvation? Come and see. Come and see. Bow your heads with me if you would. We're going to have a time right now where we can kind of come and see. We've got these mission flags up here on the, on the altar here. We're in a mission conference. But, but right now, the mission is you. Now listen closely. I'm, I'm going to give you some truth. And then I want you to make sure that you are responding exactly how Jesus would want if he was in the building talking to you. Because his spirit will talk to you through these next things I say. Listen, this is true for all of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Oh, and then so sweetly and clearly. The Bible says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, if you're sensing that it's your time, and now is the accepted time to be saved, coming down this aisle here won't save you. But if you'll come down and talk to one of us and just tell us, I want to be saved. I want to be sure that I know Christ. I want to settle this. We'll just tell you how. And if you're willing, it's really gloriously simple. Salvation only gets complicated when we fight against it and try to do it some other way. God's made the way. Jesus is the way. If that's your need today, I want you, when we start to sing in a moment, you come. Now, some others of you, you, you're, you say, Pastor Glenn, I know I'm a Christian, but I, I'm walking at a guilty distance. I've got something in my life that needs to get cleared up. Clear it up now. Clear it up today. God will forgive you and give you a new start. Some of you might be saying, oh, Pastor Glenn, I am surrounded 
with people that there would be multiple opportunities in a week and in a month's time to say something about Jesus and get the conversation started. But I've not done that. First say, God, forgive me. And then say, God, fill me. That I'll be on mission with you wherever I go. Father, help us in this time of decision at whatever place we find ourselves to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.